Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jayanelli, and I'm not in debt to the Orzhov, but I am in debt to Sally May. I'm Lorelai Weissel, and I'm debt-free. I'm Brian Dawes, and I'm jealous of Lorelai Weissel. This week, we have a lot of news to talk about. There were a number of new sets announced, which is impressive, because like, I really thought War of the Spark was going to be like the bookend on Magic, because they hadn't announced anything for so long, but it turns out they are going to continue releasing Magic sets. Just when you thought you were out. After we recorded our previous episode, they released the War of the Spark trailer. We record on Thursdays, they released it Friday, so like, what the hell, wizards? Rude. I can't talk too much about it, but what the trailer shows is a building on Ravnica with 36 stained glass images of things. Planeswalkers. Panning around to what we can tell is like one side has the gate watch on it. That much is clear. And then you that goes inside and you see 36 candles slowly get snuffed out until only one remains. One thing to note here. The, the hole that we go into the building is, is is through Gideon's chest. Just saying, you know. I mean, they had to get into the building somehow. Could have been through somebody else's chest. Just saying. The way to a man's heart is through a gale force wind at <laughs> through twilight. <his> chest. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if y'all aren't hypothesizing, I'm going to, gosh darn it. I can't hypothesize. But I do have to say, this is the first set that I have advanced knowledge of. So this is the first preview season and speculation season where I have to sit back and watch everybody else do the thing. I'm having a pretty good time because this is really a juicy one. And this is a really juicy trailer to watch everyone try and decode. I'd like to think that my hypothesis about the Eternal showing up on Ravnica is almost been confirmed by art that was released today. We'll get to that art in a second. I completely agree with Lorelai. Let me put it like this. The Ravnica Allegiance stories are stories that I had not seen in advance, and I may or may not have seen future stories in advance, so I can't speculate either. I have not seen any cards or anything, but it's certainly going to be fun. I can't say anything, and it's really hard. We might just cut most of this portion anyway. We've been good. I'm just very excited. If you know nothing, I think this trailer was just mind-blowingly phenomenally cool. Everyone has been excited. Everyone has been weighing into story stuff beyond normal. If you follow uh, Good Luck High Five, who used to be Magic the Amateuring, they did a short little video talking about the potential for Magic story, and that's not something they do a whole lot. You have, like, pros weighing in on what they think might happen. Everyone's talking Magic story, and that's very exciting. To me, as someone who knows what's coming, and just as a Vorthos, it's great when people are talking about Magic Story, and this War of the Spark trailer has people talking, and I love it. It's gotta be one of the best trailers that they've done ever. It is like a real teaser, whereas many of them have been actual trailers, you know? And it leaves a lot of room for interpretation. Whether or not people are interpreting it correctly, we can't talk about, but it was certainly very well done. And even watching it, knowing what I know, it was very cool and, like, I don't want to say chilling, but, like, thrilling? It's chilling. Chilling and thrilling? Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. But, yeah, Brian, you mentioned the Toy Fair image. Talk about it. This art, it has 
Nicol Bolas hovering over what looks to be the uh, planar bridge with what looks like a horde of Eternals in blue Lavatep uh, rushing toward it with Liliana who looks to be standing in front of it. And it looks like there's Amonkhet in the background, but I'm not, can't really be too sure. We probably need to see it in a better resolution. It looks like it's, it's Amonkhet, but it looks weird. Both are just floating there regally. It really bolsters my thoughts that we're definitely going to have an eternal invasion of Ravnica to help call all the planeswalkers so Bolas gets his spark. They will be trapped there because of the immortal sun. So we'll see how that happens. But I think that is part of what the trailer is referring to. All the individual planeswalker sparks being put out until only one is left and that's Bolas's. But that could be just be cryptic and letting people know what the plan for Bolas is, and it might not actually come to pass that way. I would assume that they're not going to kill 30 different planeswalkers in one set, so we'll see. I'm assuming that a good number of planeswalkers die, but we're not killing everybody. You don't kill all of your figureheads. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm down with Jace going away or whatever, but, you know, that's probably not going to happen, so we'll see. Jace got rehabbed. Don't root for his death anymore. He's blue. I don't care. The other thing we've learned is that there are going to be three weeks of official previews for War of the Spark with every card previewed starting on April 1st. So that's going to be one heck of a month of previews. I'm still not convinced that we're not going to get some cards at the Mythic Invitational at PAX East. That is at the end of March. It feels like they're going to let something go at a big event at a big convention. And, like, start to give us some hints or some cards. This preview season is going to be super exciting. Like, literally every card. So sweet. It's going to be fun. The other things that were announced is, did you know there's going to be another core set? Core set 2020. Shock and awe. Yeah, amazing. They've made, it's going to be, what, M20, of course, because it's going to be the 20th core set that's yes child (laughs) so core 2020 comes out july 12th and then commander 2019 comes out august 23rd core 2019 was really kind of a vorthos gem with the elder dragon so i'm excited to see what they do with it and commander the last commander set actually most of the commander sets in the in the recent last like five years have been pretty great with the Vorthos side sliding in characters that hadn't gotten cards before or hadn't gotten great cards before. Hashtag Wearfeather. <laughs> Other than the colossal miss on Ludovic, I think the Commander sets have done a really good job giving us old characters that didn't have cards and giving them cards. And then like with Miri giving them cards that aren't lame. I'm still awaiting for the not-lame blue-black Volrath. I do not have a blue-black commander deck. Please, just give him to me. Give me Yogmoth. I think it'll be very interesting. You were, you're absolutely right, Lorelai, that, like, Ludovic shows you can't just, like, slap a name on a random card. And I think they've gotten that message, especially with each deck last year getting a specific card designed around the character rather than just having their name on it. With the exception of maybe Thanos. I don't really know what Thanos's mechanics were going for flavorfully. Flavorfully? I can talk. Let's move on to listener questions. 
So this question comes from Alex Matskite. And I apologize, Alex, if I mispronounced it, but I mispronounce everything. So I, I just mispronounce flavorfully. Has the gathering in Magic's name ever been referenced or explained in the lore? And the answer to that is kind of? In the original Armada comics, the gathering was the gathering of the sages of Minerad. And so throughout the comics, they kept talking about this gathering that was coming up leading up to this fateful meeting that was going to lead to the Planeswalker War. In terms of story, no. It's not like, say, the Highlander, where that kind of thing would have a very specific term, uh, where they're all gathering to kill each other, and there can be only one. The answer is, kind of. It's not like a big definitive thing. It's more of the card game itself bringing people together, is I think the way most people interpret it these days. Well, and it's weird about the Sages of Minerad is that doesn't happen until, like, way into the Armada comic line. That's one of the last storylines that they put together. They had been releasing all these issues before making any kind of vague reference to Gathering at all. So the Gathering part was really just a subtitle on Magic that was supposed to change with each expansion. So Magic the Gathering, a Deckmaster game. And then, you know, when they would have Ice Age, it would be Magic, Ice Age, a Deckmaster game. But that's dumb and bad for building brands. So they didn't do that. And it's just been Magic of the Gathering ever since. And the cardbacks have said Deckmaster ever since. We're stuck with it now after 25 years. And that's not changing. The issue, if you look it up, you can see the Arabian Nights backing that they had originally thought about doing where things were different colors. And it had that subtitle there. But here's the issue. If you're doing a trading card game and you expect Arabian Nights and your original set to play together and people are shuffling them up, guess what? You can't have different backs on the cards. This is why they, even with the dual face cards, they release the checklist cards so that you can put it in a deck without sleeves or with clear sleeves. Yeah, that was a big problem for me as a kid playing the Pokemon card game because the Japanese version of the game had different card backs. Oh, yeah. yeah. So if you had Japanese cards like I did, because if you played in the original base sets, when Gen 2 came out, those cards came out in Japan first. Way earlier. Like year? Year or two years? Something like that. In my first ever singles purchase online, I had picked up I think a Skarmory, a Steel Energy, a Maripa Flaffy, and an Ampharos, and a Heracross. Just some of the Pokemon I had liked. And, you know, like one copy each, because that's all you need. Because you're eight, and you're dumb. Not eight. <laughs> Probably 10, 11. Yeah. Still dumb, is the point. And they had different card backs, so you'd have to be like, Oh, I'm not looking while I'm shuffling. It's going to be totally random. Peek, hope your Japanese <laughs> card is on top because you think it's cool. <laughs> yeah, and Ma Magic avoided that problem pretty well. Let's talk about this week's story, The Ledger of Hidden Fortunes. So this week's story was interesting because it templated the story in a different way. Magic has done this in the past, but following the journal of a character rather than telling the story of the character. It starts with this character named Miri's first week. Miri, weird name. What a coincidence. Ravnica has a lot of these coincidental names that I'll mention in a little bit. 
But it's Miri's first week being a tithe collector, and tithes have been going up. People have been not so happy about it. So, you know, it shows through her ledger how many people stop paying and how little money they're collecting throughout the story, and it just kind of gets worse and worse until a little bit later on, eventually the tithes are, are lowered. But basically, Mary's job is getting rougher and rougher because she's a fairly empathetic person, and a whole lot of people are selling themselves into indentured servitude in order to pay their debts, and it's not something she's really all that cool with. Plus, she doesn't like to have to clean off all the blood from her from fighting all the people who were, get violent with it. Exactly. We also get dates for when these things take place, and these dates help us order some of the other stories because we learn that Miri's dad has appeared in at least two of the other magic stories we've read so far. We learn he is the Orzhov villain from Bound and Bonded, and she talks about his get-rich-quick scheme failing. And then we also learn that he is the investor from the first story, uh, what was it, Bound by Fog? Something like that? The Demir one. The Demir one. Jay, no one's going to remember the titles. In order to help make ends meet, Miri has been working as a flesh shaper with a flesh mage creating thralls. For those of you who don't know how thralls are created, they're not zombies per se, but they're made from necrotic flesh. So you're not reanimating a body, but you're molding flesh from a body and from or from multiple bodies into a new form and then animating that. They're basically flesh golems? Like, that's yeah. the best way yeah. I can explain it. Because you look at something like Treasury Thrall, which is this huge beast of burden, and then, like, you have to know that that's made out of human flesh. And that's gross. But also gets referenced in the story because... Miri talks about how she's so good at practicing her flesh mage magic and stuff that she can make a whole treasury thrall with fewer human corpses than most other flesh mages she knows. Be proud of what you're good at, but man, that's morbid. <laughs> okay, we have a comment in our live listen chat from Aluminum Can. Weird flex, but okay. That is exactly <laughs> this meme. Like, 100%. That is Miri in this part of the story. We also learn a little bit about Miri's relationship with her father, that her father is kind of that compulsive gambler, bad with money kind of guy. He's an Orzhov pontiff. Hey, Jay. Yes. What with you being Italian-American? Do you know any kind of family-oriented middle-aged guys that like gambling and are kind of bad with money? No, no, no. <laughs> it's literally my entire Italian family in New York is what it is. Legit, this is my great uncle. This is just organized crime people messing up their own lives. I don't want to say it's cultural, but there's always that guy. <laughs> if you live on the East Coast and you have an Italian-American family who's only a couple generations removed from... Italy, which most of them are, especially in a more urban environment, this guy is in your family. <laughs> like, yeah. it might be your dad, it might be your uncle, it might be a cousin. Somebody in your family, this is that person. <laughs> We've talked a lot about the way these stories have really resonated with a lot of real-life experiences. 
Miri's family, this is Italian-American families. The inner city Italian families, the early suburbs, my Italian family's from Long Island, uh, not far out of Brooklyn. And like, that's just how people are. It was weird to read this and be like so familiar with so many of the attitudes of the different characters. (laughs) I'm just laughing because you're literally describing like every Italian-American I know with your life experience just then. Like, yeah, my family from either Brooklyn or <laughs> just a little further east on Long Island. Well, that's where all the Italians are. That's where, the, like, the track is there. You know, like, it's... Everyone's got... I think everyone's got a shared Uncle Tony up there who is this guy. I have zero Tonys? Really? I have zero Tonys in my Italian family. You kind of failed there. Well, okay, so two of my uncles didn't have kids when they were young, so their fault (laughs) anyway back to the summary in her part-time job for the flesh mage she comes across a demure agent who her boss is torturing for secrets her boss ends up killing the demure agent but the demure had been disguised as a selesnian and had claimed to have discovered a secret about vidugazi that would make her rich and be able to pay off her debts well miri had always kind of had this fantasy about what life with the Selesnians would be like. So she decides that she's going to steal these robes. She tries them on one day, and her father catches her, and she has to come up with a story real quick. And her story is that she's going to go and infiltrate the Selesnians in order to discover this, you know, massive secret that will, that will make them rich. So, in reality, she's going because she thinks, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side, especially when you actually have green. Miri goes to infiltrate the Celestians, and they just kind of welcome her in because they don't, they don't care. <laughs> there, there was very little screening going on there, but... They're going to brainwash you into their cult anyway. So, they have initiates from all over, including one who used to work at Udzek, you know, another who used to be... I think there was one that was in the Azorius working at Udzek, and then there's like a few gateless, and then a few from other guilds that all just kind of ended up there. Mary isn't really a good Selesnian. Her early experience was not positive when she learned that the Selesnian hygiene doesn't really involve soap. They're given like these herbs to, to put on themselves, but otherwise it's considered their natural aura. It's legit. Have some essential oils, they'll cure everything. (laughs) I just love that they call it their natural aura. The answer here is that Selesnians are smelly hippies. Miri, her first experience, she's like, uh, okay then. But she's willing to keep rolling with it. She's willing to keep rolling with it, especially to be able to go to Vidugazi and see if she can actually discover a secret. Then she learns that she's not very good with Selesnian magic. Whenever she makes something grow, it withers when she uses her magic, probably because her magic is tainted by flesh magic. She also discovers that the Selesnians don't really use money internally, and she has to go through this whole long barter chain to get these nice robes she wanted, only to discover someone had shown up like 20 minutes earlier with the same item to trade it. And the Selesnian she was going to trade it to just kind of gives her a, oh, well, what am I going to do with two new teapots? <laughs> and it was just, she's just the utter failure there. She's like, all right, I officially hate these people. They don't have hygiene and they don't use money. 
And that's the moment Miri sounds like some punk-ass rich kid from Manhattan. (laughs) (laughs) But she does make some nice friends among the Selesnians, one of whom covers for her so that she can go and visit Vidogasi. When she gets there, she pats her robe, the original robe given to her by... (laughs) Given. The original robe she took from the dead Demir agent disguised as a Selesnian and finds this weird artifact inside. So the weird artifact she picks up and she's suddenly able to see all of these flaws in Vidugazi, damage from some Is It Mage Lord attack, she says. And she realizes that the ability to see these flaws and the knowledge of them and how, you know, the, the Selesnians are only kind of just barely keeping Vidugazi together right now after this Mage Lord attack, she realizes that would be worth millions. So she goes back home very proud of the new secret she's discovered. But when she gets home, her mother pulls her aside and gives her this other artifact that's this crown of convergence that she'll, you know, it'll be worth a few thousand. And her mother tells her, like, look, I know you've always had this fantasy about the Selesnians, but I'm glad you're back. Here's this artifact. Just give this to your dad and pretend like this is what you went to get all along and everything will be fine. And Miri's like, huh, little does she know that I have, like, a real secret. But then she's sitting around the table with her family, who love and accept her, even her dad, who's, you know, a villain in, like, two of the other stories, you know, loves his daughter to death and dotes on her. And she realizes, you know, all that love and acceptance, she found it from her friends in Selesnia, too. Wait, 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 wait. So you're saying the real treasure was the friend she made along the way. Oh my god, it was! That's the moral of the story! Oh! Okay. (laughs) But she can't bring herself to betray her new friends, so she ends up going with her mom's story, and her dad is just so proud of her, and they're all so happy for her. And in the end, she goes back to being a tithe collector, but the tithes have gone back down. So they had gone from like 10%, to 30% to 40% before she left, and there were these riots against the tithes. And when she came back, the tithes were back down to like 18%. So all of a sudden, everyone's paying. They're taking in more tithes than ever, now that it's a more reasonable number. Everything's happy. She gets her dad a magic coin tree that she tells them is a treasure, that if you tend to it and take care of it every day, it'll produce a gold coin for you. And what's really happening is she convinced her dad to keep a little bit of greenery in the house. And every morning before he wakes up, she plants a new gold coin in there for him just to keep that greenery nice and keep her dad occupied with it. So it's kind of a very cute ending. It's a sweet gift from a daughter who like knows her dad is kind of a degenerate and wants something nice in the house, but also like wants something that makes him feel good. Like it's actually a really nice gift for a dad like that. And that's the end of the story. And I can't believe I only just now realized that the moral of the story is the real treasure was the friends she made along the way. Oh my god. I'm like, thanks, Nikki. (laughs) Well, Jay, these are the kinds of things you know when you have a lit degree from college. Whoa, what's that like? Jokes on everybody else. It finally came in handy in the real world. (laughs) (laughs) If this was an emergency management, a public policy, or like a health policy podcast, I'd be all over that stuff. But literature? I've read books. 
technically my degree's in film studies, so wrong medium, but <laughs> I minored in creative writing. <laughs> I also did some creative writing. I, I didn't minor in it, but anywho, so this story had some really cool stuff, like we mentioned before. It had some timeline connections, which we'll we'll get to in a second, but the first thing I want to mention is this is now yet another dominarian character-ish name that has shown up on Ravnica. <laughs> There's a story back in Return to Ravnica with a character named Baron, who was one of the big characters of the whole Weatherlight saga. He's this ancient mage that's Urza's friend. He's legit one of my favorite characters from that entire arc. That's fitting, Brian, because the other Baron is one of my favorite characters in all of Magic because I get to call him the other Baron. Well, I call him Baron. I call the Baron from Dominaria the other Baron. <laughs> There's Gerard, who I legitimately have had a conversation talking about Gerard, talking about Gerard's son and this and that and, and, and everything all over the place. And <laughs> like a few minutes in, they're like, wait. You're not talking about Gerard, are you? <laughs> I affectionately call this the the Weatherlight crew or the Weatherlight crew as in W H E T H E R. Although who who wrote that one down? That one's really good. I did because I have a creative writing minor. Below it uh I typed um cuz you typed Weatherlight, so of course I had to type uh Weathering Lights <laughs> cuz my brain is dumb. <laughs> we also learned for those of you who are into D&D and the Ravnica D&D book, we've gotten a lot of questions about like holidays and things. There were another two holidays here. Thank you, Nikki, for the gifts of like actual holidays on Ravnica. So one is Absolution's Day, which seems like a very not Orzhov thing to do. I'm sure there's some sort of greedy twist on it. My assumption is that this was something new that has something to do with Kaya. Could be. Because Ethereal Absolution is the big storyline card with Kaya on it. And then there's a Day of Reckoning, which does sound very Orsha. <laughs> One thing I wondered about the story is who was that Selesnian Demir agent? Like, I went back and looked at Bound and Bonded to see if any of those characters could have been that person. Because the Selesnian agent... Yeah, it's, it's not. But the Selesnian agent shows up in the flesh shapers shop around the same time or a little bit after her father encounters the, the characters from bound and bonded but yeah that that would have been a cool twist but maybe we'll still meet them yeah we have one more story we'll see what happens in nine stories so far the only one that has had zero connections to any others are the simic one and like we mentioned earlier this story connects to three other stories and contains dates. And to answer a question I've gotten from a few people, yes, I am putting together a timeline with a chart. In nine stories, I've mapped out 50 characters, and I've added the dates from this story. And from that, we can extrapolate the exact order of events relating to the Rakdos story and the Demir story and the Selesnia story, which are the three that directly connect to this one. The other stories are a little trickier because we only have relative time frames. So, like, we know that there are events that happen before or after the events that are for sure in the timeline, 
but we don't know if they happen before or after events that happen before them or later than them in the timeline. So, like, there will be an event that is relative to an event, like the Gruul story. We know that happens after the Udzik riot. The problem is we don't know how long after compared to the Orjhop story. So I can't exactly place that in a coherent timeline yet. I'm hoping we get a couple more clues from the Azorius story. Oh, we also have some stuff from the Boros story that for sure happens because that's when Boz gets released from prison. The big issue here is we don't know when the Tin Street Market Massacre happened. Correct. But we can place a lot of things before or after that. So, for instance, this story gave us the timeline for Bound and Bonded and Under the Cover of Fog. But we know that Clans and Legions, The Illusions of Child Play, and Rage of the Unsung take place before Seven Mokosh, more or less? Rage of the Unsung has to take place after... It has to take place after Clans and Legions, and probably after the riot. It has to take place after the Rakdos story. Because that's the riot that lets Dryzek the giant out. But we don't know where it takes place compared to the Orzhov story. So it takes place sometime after the Rakto story, which takes place sometime between 26 Praz and 7 Mokash. That's what I've got too. So Lorelai and, have ki- and I kind of worked at this independently. We'll see what the next story to see if we can connect them a little bit better. We need ties to the other stories through this other story, the Azoria story that's going to be next week, before we can confirm a tighter timeline on all 10 stories. I guess nine, because unless we get a connection to the Simic, I don't know. Yeah. What's the connection in the Izzet story? Is there one? Oh, the Izzet story doesn't have any connections either. That's the one we thought was going to connect to stuff and then hasn't yet, because I thought that would connect to the Simic and it didn't. Yeah, yeah, the whole suddenly showing up with a Simic experimentation, but it is what it is. Because I read through that, and that doesn't have any connections either. But, like, if we just knew when the Tin Street Riot took place on, that fills in most of this, because that lets us get the Golgari story, too. Yeah. So, if folks are curious, timeline-wise, everything that we know has taken place between the middle of Dazo and the middle of Mokash. That correlates to our April, May, and June, which I thought was fascinating because Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiance are clearly taking place in the autumn, so that's probably late September and October. Whereas these stories that Nikki has written are taking place during the late spring and early summer. So we're a couple months before whatever curious things are happening in full force on Ravnica. So Things are only just starting to happen a couple months before when I assume War of the Spark is going to take place. Hopefully the next story does have more clues. This timeline is is really only reinforced within these 10 stories. There's nothing connecting this timeline to like anything else in Magic right now. We'll see how well it connects and the War of the Spark stuff comes out. We'll be able to talk about how these stories re- might relate to it. I have some suspicions that some of the things we've seen are going to be important for for the spark. That's my thought, too, because, like, I feel like I I heard a posit earlier today where someone was like, well, these could be stories where we're getting a glimpse of life before this war breaks out. 
and we may be flashing back to some of these people later on just to see what life is like after or during this war. And that, that was a very interesting thing for me here today. And I thought it was a very good idea. So it may not happen, and it's very likely that it doesn't, but it would be interesting if they did have enough foresight to actually include something and have some of these characters actually show up in, during the war or something. <clears throat> not something I can talk about. <laughs> yeah, let's cut off the timeline discussion there. What I'll say is once my projects start coming out, I will be able to talk about them more freely and we'll be able to look back at this stuff. It's just, you know, obviously awkward now. Super awkward. Ah! Yeah, I feel great. This is wonderful for me. Well, you get to speculate freely and say whatever you want. Um, we live in interesting times. <laughs> My ignorance amuses me to quote a famous philosopher from Tomb Raider all those years ago. <laughs> all right. Now it's time for final thoughts. My final thought is that a Johnny, his restroom habits, none of our business. Stop asking whether or not he uses a litter box, guys. You totally preempted me. I was totally going to bring it up, too. Uh, uh. <laughs> uh. I was totally going to do it. We have a lot of wonderful fans. So last week's episode was our mailbag episode, and we had some folks get fired up about Planeswalker pooping habits. And, well, there's your answer. Well, since... Jay cut me off at the pass. That was going to be my final thought for one of our uh, dear live listen Patreon members. I will still say that Ajani uses a litter box because it just makes the most sense. Anyway. Great. Now there's going to be how does Ajani poop discourse. <laughs> Factions are going to form. There's going to be a whole war. I, I see nothing wrong with this. I'm going to go ahead and speculate out his butt. Oh, that's dirty, Jay. My final thought is totally unrelated to magic, as they kind of have been recently. My bad. We got news last week that the president of Nintendo of America, Reggie Philomy, is retiring. So he's going to, like, ride off into the sunset. And that's, like, kind of sad. Reggie has been... One of the phenomenal people in the games industry. If you have not watched Nintendo's E3 presenta presentations, Reggie has just been so full of life and humor and just really leaned into the fact that he became a meme and just embraced the fun that is the games industry. Games are for play, and play is something that should be enjoyed by people of all ages, and Reggie really embodied that as the public face of Nintendo of America. And I'm going to really miss seeing him at the big shows, making announcements, appearing in videos. I've been a Nintendo fan all my life, and I wish Reggie the best. And I'm a little worried because his successor is Doug Bowser, who, for what it's worth, seems like a really nice guy, but, you know, his name is Bowser. <laughs> hey. He had a Mario and a Luigi tied up behind him in that welcome picture, so I have nothing but faith in him at this point. Just the way things have been generally run in Nintendo of America, um, I'm assuming Doug will lean into a lot of the fun parts of the job and, and the fun parts of being a public figure for the company. And 
just give us Animal Crossing already. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) If you are also in dire need of Animal Crossing Switch, and you would like some like-minded Vorthoses to complain about it with, you can get access to our exclusive Discord server by visiting patreon.com slash thevorthoscast. Everyone who supports our show gets access to that Discord server where Vorthoses from around the world are talking about Magic Story, their daily lives, why we don't have Animal Crossing, and posting pictures of cute pets, because that's really what the internet is for. Hey, and Vorthos the Willis says it's a pretty cool server, just saying. Yeah, okay, there. A user fan testimony that it's a really cool server. We think so too. So head over to Patreon and uh, support us today. We cannot make the show without y'all. We are super appreciative of everything you have allowed us to do. This show just sounds so much better because we have microphones that we would not have been able to get without Patreon support. We've got some cool stuff coming up later this year, hopefully soon. I don't know what the timeline on secret cool stuff is. That's been made possible by Patreon stuff. (laughs) Eventually, Jay. Okay, good. That's about all I have, so. Uh, Okay, well, you know, this is is something we enjoy doing just uh, on a personal level and could not do without your support, so thank you. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.